Hey, everybody. We're back. Previously, our heroes blew up some Borg, caught a Klingon, saved the galaxy, and doomed the human race. So let's join them as they attempt to put it all back together in historic Bozeman, Montana. So the Borg have been firing away at, at Bozeman, trying to destroy the famous Zephyrin Cochran and the uh, warp class vessel that he has created. So, you know, that makes sense. Um, so uh, Picard's going to get to to Montana, um, and the way he's going to do it is he's going to transport. And he's going to justify something that I've been saying <laughs> from the very beginning that I feel very passionate about. He tells the computer as he gets into the trans or into the the uh, uh, turbo lift, which kind of clothes he's going to want when he transports to the surface. <laughs> Put me in twenty first century clothing. Now, this makes me really happy. However, it also did spur me into thinking: Why isn't there a transporter room next to the bridge? Because like they have to go down to the transporter room all the time. The only thing I can think of is that maybe the people who designed ships were like, there's no reason for the bridge crew to ever transport down to places. <laughs> like, why would they go on an away mission or anything? Like, there's people to do that. I'm and, gonna I'm gonna go with um transporter rooms need to be shielded a little bit heavier because they wreak havoc on your local electronics. And that's why they mm. had to be placed a little bit farther away from uh from your bridge. Well, that's some that's some nice justification right there. I like it. Well, you figured the, as it was just recently pointed out on lower decks, it's always in a small windowless room. So, okay. So, is he telling oh. the computer to dress him? Because I'm really yeah. hoping that's the case. Because if that's not the case, he's telling the computer to have the clothes ready for me in the transporter, which means that everyone is getting dressed in the transporter room. Oh, I don't think that's the case because I think Troy would have slapped him. <laughs> no, this is not happening. You made me do that on the old ship. The new ship doesn't make me do that. <laughs> All right. So the the away team is going gonna, is gonna to transport down. We see them all materialize in the middle of town. For some reason, nobody sees it because um, they're like dead center on Main Street. Like, yes, that's... <laughs> Right. I hope you, we don't scare the locals. You just don't have people appearing out of sparkly, shimmering sheets of light all the time. <laughs> I mean, I do, but it's Amazon. They're just delivering stuff. So the the, uh, the we're gonna get some some shots around town. And we get to see all the different things that are that are around. We've got a bar. Uh, we have a still. The important things. And somewhere around there's a missile silo. We can't actually see where it's at. All we see is the bar and the still. <laughs> Which fortunately, the Borg didn't take out the bar. Right. Um, but yes, well, as far as I can see, nothing's damaged. Yeah, there like, was very little. I mean, they hit the missile silo, but even then we're not seeing the, and obviously they killed lots of people and they, 
that poor one guy who was on top of the that con- that cement slab. I mean, he went flying when they blew up well, that thing, you know? Yeah, but it didn't hit the cement slab. It hit some <laughs> trees behind him, and he was just like, ah, and then he fell down. I mean, all things considered, that's not so bad. <laughs> I mean, but he I think, just he avoided a photon torpedo hit. That's pretty good. But I'm I'm thinking that warp engines at this time are even worse than they'll be in James T. Kirk's time, which means that if you just kind of bump it wrong, yeah, your your warp is out. That's not working. that's true. <laughs> well, I don't know. This wasn't maintained by Scotty. So. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> So they're going to go down to the to the missile silo so they can try to see just how bad the damage is. And this they is also a, happen to be looking for uh, Zephyr and Cochran. Yes, because we have to find Cochran. Nothing was more important to him than this ship, as Picard says, which yeah. we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as they so they go underground, um, and they the next shot we get is them walking through what is clearly a control room for a missile silo. Um, this is the. Uh, missile silo in Tucson, Arizona. And if um, you have never been, take the tour. It is fascinating. Absolutely agree. I've been there as well. Uh, it, it's really cool. Um, I personally am very scared of heights. So looking, uh, so, all right, back up a sec. There are two treaties that this missile silo adheres to. There is the, um, uh, the SMART treaty and there is the START treaty. Both of these treaties are are with the Russians. Um, basically, what it says is that you have to keep the or you have to remove all the the fuel from the missile, and you have to remove all the nuclear uh, materials from the missile, which we did. And then one of the interesting things that I found out and I did not know is that um, at the very top of the missile, the uh, the canopy that keeps it or that closes over the top of it is open, and there is a glass. Uh, enclosure on top of it. This is not actually a viewing port. Uh, it was not put there for the purpose of turning it into a museum. The reason that's there is because by the treaty, half of that uh, that hatch has to be kept open so that any Russian satellites going overhead can photograph and see the state of that missile at any time. Yes. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Now, yeah. it also has the added benefit of it's a really cool spot to stop on the tour and look all <laughs> the way down. And I got to tell you, they make you wear a hard hat the whole time. And looking yeah. down from that, I was like, I, I'm going to lose it. And I was really worried that I was going to drop my helmet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have a similar issue with heights and I, yes, I remember that. And actually uh, one of the stories we see in here is that Brent Spiner also has an issue with heights and was, um, subject to a little ribbing by Patrick Stewart as they would stand on the uh, platforms that were around the silo, which were not completely motionless. And between takes, Patrick Stewart would kind of slightly jump up and down on them and make them move because he thought it was so hilarious to watch Brent Spiner uh, freak out. I would have smacked him. You do. So oh, yes. <laughs> the, for those who haven't seen this or, or don't understand the, the, the mental image, you know, it's a giant Titan missile that is sitting in this thing. It's Titan, right? Yes. I think it's Titan. I believe yeah. it's, yeah. That is in this, um, the, this circular, uh, uh, missile silo and all around it, there are triangular metal grates that are on hinges and they swing down to become platforms that you can walk up to the missile and do maintenance on. Um, they're also all activated by, uh, pistons 
so that in the event that it's going to launch, it can automatically raise all of those platforms. And if you stand on one of them, you can very, very clearly feel the flex <laughs> and the bounce of that thing. And for someone who's afraid of heights, it's terrifying. Yes. Because you're really high up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a long tube that goes far down. Right. So the reason that, that all of this is important is because they start wander, or so Picard and Data wander into the main silo where the missile is. And as they walk in, they immediately start taking gunfire. <laughs> Lily is down below firing a machine gun, which makes me wonder what sort of fuel do you have in this large missile that you're so cavalier about just spraying bullets around willy nilly. Right. Well, and not only fuel, but also, yes, it's a missile, but now it's a spaceship. <laughs> so like, don't you have to worry about air? <laughs> So maybe, maybe just don't do that. Now, my justification is because of the fact that they knew they were going to be dealing with this rocket, maybe everybody had plastic bullets. Uh, uh, Rationalization. Right. Plastic bullets will still do a lot of damage to a person. So uh, Picard is like, hey, don't shoot at us. Don't shoot at us. And Data's like, yo, I got this. And he walks over to the edge of the platform and jumps really far (laughs) now did you read about this whole thing uh no i did not so uh according to spiner they had a stuntman do this stunt Mm -hmm. and come down and when they got the dailies back the stuntman went spiner and told them yeah um it looks like it you can tell it's not you so Mm. so spiner had to go to a soundstage where freaks had him Again, a guy who was afraid of heights um, had him strapped up in wire suit. And if you look at the movie, when it's, it looks like Data's under arrest as he's plummeting down this thing. He is completely rigid. What they did is they they put him in the wires in the wire harness. They moved him about three feet and then dropped him. And moved him up about six feet and dropped him, trying to get him acclimated to it. They finally got him up to the point where they needed him went through, dropped him. He said he was just about done. He was just completely physically wiped out from this. And after it was done and everybody clapped because he actually got through it and they were so happy to take Frakes comes up and tells him, okay, one more time. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, he, imagine he, oh. he did not. He did not have a lot of good things to say about uh, about shooting that scene. <laughs> I'll bet. So Data finishes the big jump, then he does a smaller jump, and he turns around and she empties her clip into him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as soon as he does, what does he do? Greetings. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good scene. It's well done. Oh. And then Alfredo Woodard. To, to her credit, or Lily, I guess, uh, she turns around and passes out. out. <laughs> and it's a great pass out scene, too. It's that, I'm, I'm going to get away. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's so good. Um, <clears throat> so they, uh, so uh, Beverly comes down and they check out, uh, check out Lily. And she's like, well, 
she's got radiation poisoning and uh she's kind of hurt um we should get her back to the or back to the enterprise oh and by the way everybody here's a shot <laughs> I, I thought you pointed out a really good point uh, that pike is is in a bp wheelchair and has horrible burns all over his face and everything because of theta radiation and oh, these yeah. guys are like oh you're just you're gonna yeah. get a shot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean Medicine it is hundred some odd years later but come on <laughs> theta radiation we don't worry about that stuff anymore right oh yeah so then she transports to sick bay and, and and here's my question when you transport somebody directly to sick bay, you don't have to hold them up in some sort of weird upright position like you do any other time. If you put them to the transporter pad, oh no, 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 stand them straight up. Sick bay, ah, just lay down, you're fine. Well, maybe in sick bay, they've got you know transport pads that are at the end of or at either end of a bed, and so they're <laughs> like, no, no, we actually prefer it if you're laying down. If they don't but, have them, they should have them, right? But transporters have no rules. <laughs> which is why Scotty had such a hard time with them because he wanted rules. You so keep I'm sure he's got a tattoo somewhere that says no rules. You you keep pointing this out to me and I keep missing it. And now you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're looking around in the, the missile silo, there is an actual Titan missile in there because it's a museum. Um, I did find it funny that the, it, it is absolutely a real missile. But as they do the panning shot to look up, it's covered in Star Trek plastic. <laughs> yes. I want to know where all that plastic went. Because there's some stuff in there that, I mean, you're talking <laughs> that it, it's got a diameter of like eight feet across. Yes. Just for that shot. Like there's a warehouse somewhere where there's like, you know, a Titan missile bra. It's, <laughs> it's so cool. No, I actually thought that was a special effect put on. I was surprised to find out. No, they actually put a housing on top of that missile. Yeah, it's crazy. I thought, how much did you pay the Air Force to be able to do that? Oh, dude. I mean, think about just all the rooms they walked in where oh, they went yes. through. Like, you can tell there, there are places where they went where it's legit. Yes. Uh, you know, th- this is uh, army, military, or this is just military uh, workmanship, right? And they've gone through and they've slapped labels on everything. They've got sparks flying. They've got tubes and wires pulled all over the place. They paid some serious coin to be yes. able to wreck that place. Yeah. And I, I honestly wonder um, what the before and after shots look like. Like once they cleaned everything up, like how close they got it to the way it was before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Because like that, that museum's got all kinds of stuff laying around too. You know, there's, there's a dummy that's sitting in one spot, which that's by the a- way, scared the crap out of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff like that. So I, I've always wondered that. Also, I noticed that uh, on those panels, there are stickers and those stickers have number and letter combos that are from the enterprise and uh, from various TV shows. And I actually, I, I tried looking up stuff about them. Like one of them says four, one dash H zero zero M or maybe it's H O O M. I don't know. It's 41 whom. And I, I found a bunch of those all over in different really? scenes. And I was trying to figure out what those were. Ooh, I searched for it. I couldn't find anything except somebody who had an eBay auction selling those stickers. <laughs> <laughs> So I, like, ah, I couldn't find any information about it though. Oh, crud. I'm going to have to look at that and make something up then. Right? <laughs> um, 
So they, the reason that they do these pan shots is because uh, Picard and Data are once again standing there and Picard lays his hand lovingly on the ship to which all of us can go, you know, that's a piece of history. Of course he's going to be like, oh yeah, that's so cool. And then Data has to ask, ah, guys, have we not done this to death? Why are you doing that? Do humans do that sort of thing? Here's the thing that kills me. Data's like 70. If you think about the timeline, he's old. He's not, he's not 10 years old. No. And like he's, he's done a full Starfleet career. He went through the Academy, (laughs) right? He's been around people for a long time. And this dude is like, I don't understand people. So you, uh, so you still like to touch, so do you like to touch things? Right. Now, one thing I did read is that actually, uh, um, Frakes wanted the scene because he was using it as a nod to uh, 2001 and all the different characters going to try to touch the monolith. He was doing a kind of a callback on that thing, but I don't know how true that is. I mean, I could see him maybe saying, Hey, you know, this kind of reminds me of, but uh, <laughs> aside from that, I don't know. That seems kind of, eh. yeah. It now, seems kind of a stretch. When, when they're having this conversation, all of a sudden the camera pans up to Troy coming out and popping up on her elbows. And she kind of looks down and gives a little smirk and it's like, that's our data. You know, like, <laughs> come on. I kept waiting for the, the cheesy laugh track and the, the, <laughs> the logo to come in. Like, Star Trek. <laughs> I don't know. I did. Some of that stuff is so contrived, but I mean, I will admit the lighthearted air of it did help. It yes. really, it really did help move the movie along. So she also says that they can't find Cochran anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the captain, or is she, blah, blah, blah. She says, you know, we have to assume there's a possibility he could have been killed. And Picard's like, oh, oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, he hadn't thought of this. <laughs> I mean, either that or, He's a drunk and is holed up somewhere drinking. <laughs> Maybe go look at all the places well, where he could be drinking. I was going to say, I just, even, even in Picard's time, if you have to find somebody, you're going to a bar. We've seen enough mm-hmm. Star Trek that if you're trying to find somebody, you go to the bar. That's your first move. Right. I don't know. Uh, maybe Picard suddenly starts hearing Guinan in his head and she's like, <laughs> have you checked the bar? <laughs> So we flash back to the movie has no guy in it. Yeah. So actually, uh, interesting story about that. Uh, there is, there was no offer made to Whoopi Goldberg to be in the movie. And in fact, Whoopi thought she was going to get an offer to be in the movie. And she found out that she was not getting an offer in the newspaper. Mm. She was reading an article and somebody mentioned it and she was like, huh, I guess I'm not part of this. Cause she just assumed like the rest of us, that if you're going to have a Borg heavy movie, Guinan's absolutely going to be part of that. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, it wasn't even a consideration. Apparently. I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm sure something probably came up in the writer's room at some point, but apparently from a production standpoint, it was not on the table. Yeah. I wonder whose call that was. That, that right? it does seem odd, especially for somebody who wants to be in your, it's not somebody you have to convince to be in your property. It's somebody who actually wants to be in your property. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, at this point, she's she's part of the main crew. Yes. I don't know. It's so weird. 
So we head back up to the enterprise and we're in engineering and everybody's just sweating bullets. It's so <laughs> hot. Oh my gosh. I can't figure out why environmental controls aren't working. I mean, the past was warmer than the, the past was warmer than the, the future. That's, that's what oh, I always heard. You know what it is? It's that global warming. I've heard about that. <laughs> those, those old people have a problem with that global warming. <laughs> I don't care if we are in space. <laughs> so we, we meet up with two engineers. Uh, we know one's named Paul. We don't know who the other one is. And he won't be named uh, Paul very long. Right. So he climbs up, he's got some stuff to do. Uh, he, he goes down to Jeffrey's tube and we get the classic horror film stuff. I I love it. Yeah. Very well done. The shadow that moves when, uh, when Paul is moving through the thing, hearing the slight noise and him, you know, calling out, Hey, is somebody else working down here? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and then of course, you know, you see the, the, the shadow lift the thing and that's the end of Paul. Yeah. Now, Paul doesn't really scream very loud, but the whole time he's in there, we can hear his partner out in engineering. Paul? Paul, are you okay? <laughs> Paul's like, yeah, everything's fine. Is there anybody in here with me? No? Okay. They clearly can communicate. So now she's going to stand <laughs> up, look around. I don't know. And then she goes into the Jeffries tube. She goes into the same junction Paul was in. Mm. She then, looks left. She, she looks right. Looks at the camera <laughs> and screams. Now, <laughs> there's a lot wrong right here. <laughs> first off, okay, I get that they wanted to go horror movie. Cool. But the first thing is, um, there's no intruder alert. Um, TNG taught us that every time anybody beams onto that ship, there's an intruder alert. So that, that computer goes, Hey, somebody's on the ship. So they, they, they make a comment about internal, internal sensors being off. Internal um, or I thought it was long range. They did long range, but they also mentioned something about, at least at some point, Picard, I think brings up a little bit later, or later, they must've got in when our shields were down, our internal sensors and pick a bumper, blah, 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 blah. Right, but fine. no, th- no, no, I, I'm agreeing with you. There's a lot going on here because your tricorders are still working, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of like, seems oh, that hey, there's you know, a life form in there. <laughs> yes. It, it, it seems really, really odd that they're they're The only thing I can figure is their time with Locutus. They kind of figured a way around a lot of Starfleet security. Um, yeah, that's but they've been saying this, the enterprise E is a vastly different animal than the enterprise D. True. Now, the other thing that, that bugs me is, you would think that the somebody would notice, hey, it's getting up to about uh, 39.1 degrees Celsius. Hey, um, maybe we should be watching that. Again, Picard <laughs> needs to publish a white paper, and that needs to be standard <laughs> operating procedures. Why does that ring a bell? Why does that right? ring a bell? <laughs> Why are the Borg being so sneaky? I understand the horror film thing, but Borg are not sneaky. They're very deliberate in their movements. <laughs> and and uh, kind of loud usually. <laughs> right? And lastly, and this one really bugs me. As I said, we established this woman was able to talk to Paul <laughs> while he was in this tube. So she goes into the same exact spot Paul's in and she lets out a blood curdling scream and nobody in engineering hears it. <laughs> Everybody's just like, hey, 
Uh, never mind. I got I got work to do. It's kind of <laughs> hot in here. <laughs> I know somebody just screamed, but eh, is, I'm warm. Is Jennifer screaming again? I swear. <laughs> what did Paul do now? <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> so sick of those two. <laughs> so Picard is on Earth, and he uh, he hears the Borg again. Wait, is he on Earth or is he back on the ship? He's he's on Earth because I love yeah. this shot. Actually, this is a That's continuous right. shot from him saying, "Mr. Wolf, I need to what's going on." Blah 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 blah. blah. But they do an entire sh- shot of him turning around, walking down the corridor with the rest of the crew coming in behind him, then him stopping. But it's one continuous shot all the way down. Which for me, I thought it was a beautifully shot uh, yeah. uh, scene on there. But again. He asks for all this information and then he tells Riker, I'll be back and just takes off. He clearly suspects the Borger on the ship and he doesn't say anything to anybody about it. Right. It's getting to the point where I'm starting to think that he believes that at this point, Starfleet's going to can him if he gives up all his secrets. They're going to be like, you know, you train the next guy to do your job and then you're out. Because he is keeping so much in his head that should be just standard let Starfleet know so that we can all protect ourselves. How many people have died because this guy's trying to protect his job? <laughs> I'm the Borg. I'm the Borg guy. They come to me for the Borg. I'm the Borg guy. I am right. the Borg guy. They, they, they told me that I could keep my stapler. <laughs> as long as I had more information about the Borg, I could keep my stapler. I've already I've already moved my desk to the back of the cubicle. I, I it's like he's worried they're gonna send him to Ruapenta. It just it makes no sense. And I get the whole I'm a driven man type thing, but this is this part is specifically out of character for Picard. Even if he's doing the whole I'm gonna get them, he mm. would let Will in on it. He would want Will's help. He would want Jordy's right. help. He would be telling people this. So, <laughs> but, I don't know. The whole but of course, bizarre. You, you have to suspect something when he says, "I'm going to go back to the ship and take Data with me." You're going right? to what? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why do you need him? Like, this isn't one of those go retrieve your saddle kind of situations. This, this is serious. <laughs> you so know, we, we, we we could use him down here. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. So. We flash back to the Enterprise, and we're in the sick bay, and <laughs> and it's weird because it looks like Voyager's sick bay for some reason. Yeah, it's so bizarre. <laughs> um, so let's 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 just rip that bandaid off. It is the Voyager sick bay. They redress it a little bit, but I mean, come on, it's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing that bugs me. So uh, Beverly is still checking out Lily to make sure she's okay. Lily wakes up and. Beverly's like, hey, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. Listen, things are really weird. I need you to chill for just a second. And Lily's like, ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Beverly brings somebody over to, to help out. And as soon as she does, the lights turn off. And Beverly is like, why is it so hot in here? And you're like, hey, wait a minute. I bet I know why. And then a fist embeds itself in the door of sick bay. And all of a sudden she's like, I know what's going on now. <laughs> the Borg are robot or they're cybernetic organisms. They have computers in their brains. 
They have wireless communications. They are interfaced with this ship. Why the hell do they need to break down a door? I've never understood this. (laughs) The first time I watched this movie, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, nope. They they would put a little tubule into the door into the panel and be like doors open. Uh, I want door open. And oh god, it just, to, be, to be fair, the Borgie equal opportunity. They they assimilate stupid people too. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and at this point, I have to believe that the entire TNG production crew, who is in charge of the shows and the movies, has just decided somewhere along the way that all. St- all of the Starfleet sick bay doors are punchable <laughs> because if you think back on the shows, they have torn down this sick bay door over and over again. I mean, think about uh de-evolved wharf trying to get to Troy, <laughs> yes. just beating down that door, right? It's always the sick bay door. So it's like, maybe that one's just made of like rubber. I don't know. <laughs> All the other doors are made of metal, but not sick bay. <laughs> It's like some people's face, it, some doors you just got to punch, you know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Sick brain. No. Oh. Anyway, so she's like, oh God, that's terrifying. So here, here's then, my, here's my theory on it. All the, all the Borg have like little tools and everything on them. So they're all mm-hmm. very specialized. This is the Wreck-It just, Ralph series? It just happened that they picked the guy that was the hammer, you know, just like, oh, hey, yeah, you go to sickbay. I'm I'm the hammer. I don't think I think you wanted the door open guy. No, you go to sickbay. Stanley, I've, I know I've, what I'm I've doing. I told you one time. I've told you a thousand times. <laughs> the door open Get guy has there. stuff to do. You <laughs> do what I said. I know what also, I'm doing. This is something that's always bothered me about the Borg in general. Um, so he goes over and he starts pounding on the door. Right? He's a crew member on the ship, so he's most likely human. <laughs> Those fists aren't going to last very long. <laughs> I mean, I know he's got nanobots that can repair everything, but he's going to get like two hits and he's going to have to stop because his hands are now full of splinters instead of bone. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> That's why you usually send three or four hammer guys at the same time. One, yeah, right? one, exactly. one will rarely do it. So we're going to go back to the bridge. Uh, Data and Picard are back. Um, and uh, Picard tells Data he needs to lock out the Borg. So we put a big lock on the computer that only Data can break open because that's not going to go wrong for you. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least Data's really fast at math, right? <laughs> now, as soon as well, Data's doing that, Lieutenant Hawk needs to get some information. So rather than look to his side and say, excuse me, could you give me information? No, he walks over (laughs) to the other guy's console and reaches over and starts typing things in upside down and reading data upside down so that he can, he can uh, explain what's going on, (laughs) which leads me to believe or to to ask who the hell are all these people on the bridge that don't do any work? (laughs) Because there's like four people on the bridge who actually do all the work and nobody else is allowed to do anything. They can't talk. They can't report on anything. They're not allowed to push any buttons. They just sit there (laughs) or stand there and look offended. It's customer service, right? They're, they're escalations. Don't, don't talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, then they get another failed communication. They attempt to try to talk on the radio. (laughs) 
Come on, guys. That's not what future radio is going to sound like. <laughs> I'm guessing that the computer, just to uh, for some nostalgia's sake, it just inputs that. If it can't get the actual signal in, it will just go ahead and put in some uh, radio uh, static in there. Just to, I'm sure every comms officer's just got their soundboard. They're like, uh, yeah. Yeah, hear it? It's terrible. <laughs> what, what was happening is that if it just went silent, people, the little ear things that they put in, like Uhura has, you know, were going bad. So they had to put in the like squeaky radio sound so people know, no, no, your ear thing is working. And it's, it's the, it's the actual. Right. They were like, this thing's never charged. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and after, after you see Uhura take a couple of those things out and whip them across the, uh, across the bruiser <laughs> frustration, you start thinking, you know what? I'm going to do something about that. Right. You know what? <laughs> she should get promoted. Just saying. Uh, so then we're going to go back to sick bay where they're now trying to start moving and they're trying to get uh, Lily moving. Which I will say Alfredo Alfredo does an excellent job of just looking confused and freaked out at, at this point. Uh, I have to. Oh, absolutely. I, I have to say, it's like she must have been exhausted after this film. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, her performance, just the way. So, my favorite performance of her is uh, on. Uh, oh, God, what was it? Yes, it was on Scrooge. Oh, I totally was blanking. Oh, yes. And on Scrooge, she has a couple moments where she looks very confused and very upset. And I always thought, you know, that's a great performance. This tops that hands down because she also throws in the absolute sheer panic, of not understanding anything going on. around yes. her. And everybody else looks really scared. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was done really, really well. I have to say she is one of my favorite actresses. If you haven't seen Luke Cage, she is amazing in Luke Cage. She is just I'll have to check that out. It's not I, on my I, list yet. I really thought she deserved some sort of like award consideration for her work on, on that show. Cause oh, wow. yeah, she was both seasons. She was amazing. So then, uh, Crusher has an idea. <laughs> She's going to use that thing. She never wanted to use. So she calls the EMH computer. Please. What does she say? Com- computer. Activate emergency uh, medical hologram. Yes, activate the EMH. And we get Robert Picardo, the doctor from Voyager. Yay! Big fan of Robert Picardo. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> and and her, her answer to him of the medical emergency is, there are 20 Borg outside that door. <laughs> Keep them from coming in. I'm taking off. <laughs> and I know you told me it's his uniform, but man, when he beams in, it looks like that uniform's too big for him. Well, maybe it's one of those situations where, you know, like when Paris would screw with his, uh, his parameters, <laughs> maybe somebody just screwed with his parameters a little bit. He was, he was actually at 98% instead of a hundred percent. Just shave a couple of inches off the top of him. And right. once and his he... voice gets squeaky, he recognizes it. So you gotta be careful. But it is nice. We get to see it. it's It's one of those crossover things like, Hey, somebody from another show shows up. Yeah, um, it, it was cool. I, what I didn't like about it, though, is he didn't have the confidence. So when the board come in, they start walking towards him and he's like inching away and getting to the wall and everything. This is very much Voyager season five, Doctor, right? This is not this guy's been in mothballs and has just been uh, turned on for the first time. 
who at that point he would be totally like, what do you want? Cause that's how that, that EMH was. And he wouldn't be scared of anything. However, he's firmly in the, the land of, I am an, uh, an EMH because the doctor was being developed in Voyager many, 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 many light years away. This particular EMH may be fresh out of the box. No, that's what I'm saying. He's fresh yeah. out of the box. So oh, he's, I got you. He's, yes. So he would be much more standoffish and much more like, you're not going to hurt me. Yes. I don't care. <laughs> that's right? a very good point. Very good point. Yes. You're absolutely right. So we follow them through the Jeffries tube. And the whole group is going to file into the Jeffrey's tube. (laughs) And for some reason, the incredibly suspicious, incredibly confused person, they're going to leave in the back of the pack (laughs) and not notice when she decides, "Mm, I'm going to go a different way because I don't trust any of you people. (laughs) I, I, at some point I'm going to have to do a project. I'm going to sit down and see how many times Beverly Crusher has lost a patient that she should not have lost (laughs) on the enterprise. Or allowed them to wake up and see something they shouldn't have seen. It's uh, she does have a real bad habit of that. I mean, honestly, the the sick bay on the Enterprise D, they didn't even have a lock on those doors. People (laughs) just wake up, walk out, (laughs) she'd come back from her office and be like, "Huh? "Huh, Did somebody discharge (laughs) us?" I thought that bloodthirsty alien was here. What happened? Hey, uh, Bridge, you guys see that bloodthirsty guy? I don't know. He he just left. And that's why later on in the movie, when she tells, uh, tells Worf, you know, Hey, look for her. the look on Worf's face is like, yeah, really again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what have you, you been doing since I've been gone, Beverly? Cause I, I doubt anybody else is going to put up with this crap. <laughs> He's like, Hey guys, guess what? She crushed it again. <laughs> Are you using my name to describe a very small and understandable mistake? <laughs> yes. Today is a good day to crush it. Okay. <laughs> so we, we go back or we, we go out to some random planning area where Picard is there with, they're not Makos. They're just security team. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing just uh yeah, a bunch of, yeah. Uh, at this point they'd be yellow shirts, but yeah. It totally should have been Makos. I, the enterprise would have Makos on it. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. That's a, that's something that really should be brought back. Right. Anyway, so uh, Picard's planning the battle, and I just want to point out he's wearing his battle vest. Every commander <laughs> has a battle vest. <laughs> I just actually, I just found a picture of Cisco sitting on a couch in, in his battle vest today. I was like, there it is. That's it. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you pointed out that for some reason they're carrying their two-handed rifles now. <laughs> Cause yeah. Cause you know, carrying something with two hands is more powerful than, than one. <laughs> Dude. At one point, uh, Worf picks up that rifle and tosses it to data. And all I could hear was, uh, the drill sergeant and aliens. <laughs> all right, sweethearts, you heard the man, you know, the drill assholes and elbows. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Picard is like if you see anybody who's turning you kill him because if you don't kill him there's you're making it worse on him and all I could think is you bastard they rehabbed you just fine and you're you're captain of the flagship now what the hell man <laughs> didn't 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 we do go through a lot to save this dude one time is I'm just right 
<laughs> what did Paul ever do to you? <laughs> oh, so we get back down to the surface and Deanna's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something we've never seen before. Okay. I love this scene. They're in the bar. Zephyrin Cochran is drinking. Deanna's drinking. And in walks Riker to, to figure out what's going on. Oh my God. I love this scene. It's just so relatable. So real. So very much like, you know what? I have had to get a, a, a lady out of a bar after she went too much and like, Hey, come on, let's go. No, you don't understand. I've, I've had that experience. I've had the, this guy's acting like a toddler and I'm going to have to make sure he stays acting like a toddler. Just so he doesn't cause problems. Like all of this is very relatable to me. <laughs> and I'm usually the Riker walking in the room going, Oh God, I got to deal with this now. <laughs> <laughs> the Riker thing of kind of like, you know, you're supposed to be at work, you know, and her thing is like, I am at work, dude. <laughs> right. So they walk in. Um, uh, she is listening to very loud music and Riker walks in to turn it off. Uh, before he turns it off, what we're listening to is Ooby Dooby by Roy Orbison. Hey. Um, I, if I'm being honest, I thought they made it up for the movie. I didn't realize this was a real song. <laughs> it was one of my favorite songs when I was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he turns off the, the jukebox and when he does, Deanna's like, Oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> out comes Zephyr and Cochran and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, uh, they talk for a minute and then he, he pours a drink for him and a drink for Deanna. Here, you got to drink the good stuff. <laughs> and they both take a drink and he throws it over his shoulder. He goes, that wasn't so good. <laughs> now, I have to say, I was I was a bit dismayed at this scene because twice he's thrown bottles now. We, he threw a bottle at Riker when he unplugged the, uh, the jukebox. And then Cochran throws the other bottle over his shoulder. And I'm thinking... In this post-apocalyptic world, alcohol is so available that you can just waste it. But you pointed out this place really looks like it was built as much around a still as it was the Phoenix. So, oh, totally, yeah. Well, and you know, there's movie rule number one: they're drinking out of mason jars, so you <laughs> know for sure they've got tons of homemade alcohol. <laughs> that's just that's movie that's movie rules. You can't change those. <laughs> Um, so they, they talk a little more. Riker's clearly trying to get her to, to, you know, understand that they've got work to do. And she's just adamant. No, you don't. This is my process. <laughs> I, I'm using real, real po- or processes here. You don't understand. And then she passes out. And when she passes out, Zephyrin proceeds to do a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> now, she, this looked like it was a blast to film. Yes. Right. I mean, she got to be a person, not, you know, a straight laced Starfleet person. <laughs> and she spends the whole movie like that. And it just looks like it was so much fun to film. And yet she still says that the previous movie was the most fun she ever had. She said that she thought this was a better role and a better movie, but that the, the previous movie was much more fun, which I thought was really weird. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine that being the case. Yeah. Especially since they made her wreck the ship in the last movie. Right. <laughs> anyway, we now know that this is Zephyrin Cochran, which is a surprise to Star Trek fans because he doesn't look anything like Glenn Corbett, who is the mm-hmm. actor who portrayed 
um, Zephyrin Cochran in the original series. Um, and the episode was it the changeling. Um, I'm going to have to look I that up. Remember. Actually, I believe it, it was the changeling metamorphosis. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Metamorphosis. You're absolutely right. Um, and one thing that people point out is that one of the odd things is in that episode of the original series, Zephram is going to identify himself as Zephram Cochran from Alpha Centauri, uh, rather than Montana. But it's one of those things that at this point we fear Montana probably got so gentrified that even he didn't want to admit that he was from there and, uh, <laughs> and just kind of threw him off the case there. No, 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 no. I, I went to school in Montana. I lived in Alpha Centauri. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I moved there when I was really young. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so uh, let me jump back to the Enterprise. So, all right. So they're all marching down the hall. And they I, they do something that I've been waiting for for a while. So for a while on these these uh, ships, they've been putting hatches in the floors. Only in the movies. Even though they're u- they're reusing hallways from all the TV shows. Still, in the movies... They cut a hole in the carpet and they put in a hatch <laughs> and they've been marching over these things for four movies now. And I'm like, who's going to open one of those? So finally they open one of those hatches. It leads right into a Jeffrey's tube and there's clearly Borg presence. Lots and lots of Borg. So they, they jump down this thing. Uh, they come around a corner and, uh, Data and uh, Picard are going to have a little talk. <laughs> yes, because once again, Data's having anxiety and he feels like describing it at that particular time and, and moment. And thankfully, and I think this is this is where the uh, the lead actor, Patrick Stewart, and the audience really, really feel the same thing at the same time when Picard tells Data, yeah, maybe you ought to shut off the, uh, the emotion ship because we really don't have time for that right now. And I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank right. you for stopping that. Now, we'll have to deal with it a little bit later, but for the time being, yeah, thanks. Let's make oh. this more about action, a little less about reflection. Amen. I'm so tired of that. <laughs> we get it. You're Pinocchio. We got it like it's eight years ago. 30 years, people, <laughs> and I'm still sick of it. <laughs> 30 years. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we flash back to the doctor uh, and the doctor show, or well, actually not flashback, excuse me. They open a hatch. And when they open a hatch out pours the doctor. <laughs> now I do want to point out, this will come up later. This hatch just opens. There's no handle. There's no lock. There's no nothing. It appears to be held on by magnets. So they open the hatch. Doctor pours out. She's like, um, yeah, we lost somebody. <laughs> and as you said, worse the look on worse face is like, ah, yeah, you did it again, didn't you? Yeah, they're not somebody who knows where we are or who we are, and they're from this time, and they shouldn't be here. And could you find them? Right. <laughs> I shall find the prey. <laughs> um. So they. As they're walking around, they, they do run into some Borg. They lower their weapons so that the Borg don't attack them. And all I can think is, you know that one of those Borg is like, don't look, don't look. <laughs> Did you see that? It was Locutus. I swear to God, that was Locutus. No, dude, I'm sure he's taller. I'm sure he's taller. 
Do you think he would sign my ocular implant? <laughs> um, as they're walking around, they get to engineering and they see the, one of the things I really don't get. And I, this is something that has shown up in multiple movies, multiple TV shows. And for some reason they highlighted in this one, the second story Borg. This I, is I, you I, walk into a room and you have Borg, uh, um, alcoves that are stacked on top of each other. So there's a guy that's plugged in on the second floor with no, with no walkway in front of him. I refer to them as Wahlborg. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why one of them was named Donnie? The other one's named Mark. I, I'm afraid as we talked about certain Borg have certain, uh, uh, jobs there might be certain Borg that's only job is to be an aesthetic. To no, because to set a mood they're put into action in this movie. Ah, uh, that's true. Right. I, Oh, it's so weird. Um, <laughs> so how do they get back up there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, do they have to just jump up to the second story and like, Oh, Oh, oh I missed the charger. Just I, again. I, I'm oh. imagining like one Borg standing on another Borg's shoulder as he tries to walk <laughs> up and try to get him plugged in in the right place. <laughs> We have almost reached it. <laughs> we must go closer. We don't understand what you mean. Oh, my bad. We need to, oh, my bad. Oh, this isn't working. Dude, <laughs> can you just walk one foot closer? You know, we could put more of these at the floor level. It would probably work out. <laughs> hey, are you guys sure you want to put that up there? That's going to be real hard to use. Eh? Oh, man. You're going to have to put ladders on both sides of this. You're probably going to have to put down some safety tape, too. I'm just telling you. Gosh, it's a good thing you guys assimilated Columbus first. If I hadn't gotten here, I wouldn't be able to tell you how to do this right. <laughs> so um, on TNG, the Borg stuff was cheaper quality, uh, the, the Borg effects. Uh, this movie, they got a, a much bigger budget. So they started flexing that muscle a little bit. And if you take a look at these guys, the detail is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. The alcove detail is fantastic. I'll be honest. The hallways, not so much. The hallways look pretty cheap. But everything else is just top notch. And the ones who really benefited to that from that were Voyager. Yes. Uh, if you look at those later seasons of Voyager, the Borg game got stepped way up. And the reason why is because they got to use all the stuff that was built for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So like and they built enough on this enterprise that they were able to actually outfit Borg cube sets on Voyager. Like there's enough stuff for that. It's fantastic. No, I completely agree. I, I some of the some of my favorite Voyager episodes are actually the uh, the two-parter Borg Borg ones, but the mm-hmm. the aesthetic was so much better. Like you said it had a, a much much higher uh level production level on those episodes after this movie. Exactly. So they go back down the hallways and uh, they come across the engineering door and Picard's like, I got this. <laughs> and uh, he stands at the door. Nothing happens. He's like, data, you do it. So data opens the panel and data. Here's the thing. First off, he opens the panel and the computer voice goes, manual release activated. <laughs> Why is it computer activated? it's a manual it's in the name (laughs) so data reaches in grabs what is clearly supposed to be a manual release handle and just rips it out of the wall (laughs) so looking at this i'm like what is what are you doing (laughs) 
I wanted Picard to be like, dude, why? <laughs> At this point, it looks like it's more difficult to open the door to engineering than it is to blow up the ship. Right? Exactly. <laughs> or at least it takes them longer. Oh, so that doesn't work. So um, then we we get a view of uh, engineering again. And, uh, well, we get a view of other Borg, right? <laughs> We're not really sure exactly where they're at, where they're coming from, where they're going to. New but Borg. What we do other know Borg. is that those second story Borg, they all start jumping down. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that's cool. They're jumping down. Uh, are you going to get back up? <laughs> Nobody's going to talk about that. Maybe they have a Borg ramp. Maybe second story Borg are, are disposables. Oh, well, there we're you not, go. They're one time use. Yeah. They're burner <laughs> Borg. We're not going to use them again anyway. We call those deflector dish Borg. Um, <laughs> so well, I got a job for you. <laughs> So, uh, while they're working on this, cause they got to get through this door. So the captain decides he's going to work on the door, even <laughs> though, you know, data's the robot who understands electronics. <laughs> no, the captain's going to figure it out. So he gets to the, the, the other little access panel. Cause there's two access panels for one door and <clears throat> he starts working on it. <laughs> Pull some wires out and they spark. <laughs> well, while that's going on, the Borg start, uh, start uh, advancing on them. So Worf, <laughs> we get some good scenes of data tossing them around. It is true. Uh, my favorite was when Worf shouted ready phasers and then hit the guy in the face. <laughs> 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 As if that's like a magic word and fling on martial arts. It just happens to sound like ready phasers. Um, and then everybody starts shooting Borg and almost immediately captain, they have adapted because <laughs> we knew so that what's was he do? Happen. What's that? Good. And we knew that was going to happen. Right. So he just starts beating the tar out of everything that comes near him. That's good stuff. <laughs> because a galaxy wide of information and the Borg still have a hard time with the concept of that guy's just going to slap you upside the head. Right. <laughs> so here's the thing I don't get. Like there's force fields that you can't hit through. We know this. They're all over the place. The ship's got, you know, one in every hallway, right? But for some reason, the Borg can't figure out how to block you from punching them. If you if you punch at them, you get right through. No we, problem. We, we can if, dissipate energy, but your fist, not so much. Right? <laughs> kind of reminds me of the dune shields that'll block anything unless you go real slow. So at this point... Why isn't everybody, why isn't, I mean, first of all, why isn't worth just going back to, to a bat left? It seems like you could just produce one of those in a replicator pretty quick. Why isn't everybody right. carrying a bat left at this point? Well, we'll get to that later. True. So data standing in front of a big engineering door, which I'll be honest with you until this moment, I didn't even notice was there, <laughs> um, but he's standing in front of a big door and all of a sudden it raises. And it raises about a foot off the ground. And what happens? All right. <laughs> they grab Data and they pull him under the door. And I have a real problem with this because I've never seen a Borg bend over. Never seen it. Not once. I've never seen a Not Borg. Even I've never seen a Borg bend at the waist. Never seen him bend to the knee unless they're dying or deactivating Wait. or whatever you say. So actually they do. 
Uh oh. Where? Very first time the Borg materialize on the Enterprise bridge. One of them dies. Oh, and the other one bends over and takes the little things out of his takes face. Takes a little module, and then he he they both dematerialize. So they do bend over. Okay, so I'm going to say that this is another one of those cases of specialty that they have specific Borg that bend over. <laughs> You've hello, got... hello, we are called Ben. Ben Dover. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Wallborg and we've got Bendyborg. So we're starting to we're starting to learn more about the race as as we go along. Right. Um oh I like that. The the Borg who clean the floors or the floorboard. <laughs> you oh, got the, so now we do have it. I mean you have you have the bendy board, floorboard, wallboard. If, uh, if they don't put a human or any kind of uh, genetic material into the robot, does it become a Roomborg? <laughs> As they were pulling him under the door, I got to admit, I all I thought was Indiana Jones. I thought if he had his whip, he was going to make it. Um, <laughs> he would have he figured out a way. Well, now I'm just so thinking I, of, the, of the floorboard. I'm just thinking, it's like, do you have any videos of a cat riding on top of a Borg? That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So, so we go back to we're fighting for a moment. He notices that data's gone, but he's going to still keep on kicking some butt. And while he kicks butt, we get to hear the, uh, the little tune that they came up with in the very original Star Trek, the motion picture at the beginning when we see uh, uh, Klingons. They work that motif over and over again every time, uh, every time Worf does something that even approaches being cool. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. Um, and and you mentioned that the the Borg now have the the tubules in their fingers so, instead of yeah. their wrists. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the, so before the Borg used to actually have to get a hold of you and do something. You know, now these Borg just like have a couple of things that shoot inside you, and now you're now you're messed up. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. I I, I don't know. It, it it definitely gives that zombie aesthetic. Yes, it's it's the whole you know don't let them touch you type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's weird. It was it was something that because I always thought the the original when I first saw the Borg on on the Q episode that I thought what they were going for was they were trying to reproduce like an old nineteen twenties um, science fiction like alien robot race because they were very black and white. They were very. Uh, old technology looking. Um, and I thought they kind of had that aesthetic, this movie much more zombie. Um, and yeah. you have actually have like mean expressions on Borg's face in certain scenes and things of that nature. So this changes the Borg quite a bit, but again, they had the money to do it. So if you have a concept, you can develop it more, but this will really kind of set the Borg up for, uh, for the Borg we're going to see go up against Catherine Janeway in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I definitely, it's, it's sort of that transition from, um, like Dawn of the Dead to 28 days. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Or 28 days later, excuse me. 28 days, different movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, you know, going from the, the, the shambling zombie to the fast zombie, right. Yeah. And, and raising the terror level. I think that's really what this movie did is it it took the Borg from the shambling zombie to the smart agile zombie. And one thing I really like about this fight scene also is uh, 
Frakes and the cinematography had the choice of doing this uh, handheld, doing these scenes handheld mm-hmm. in their fight scenes. And it works really, really well, actually. It has kind of a disjointed, chaotic feel to it. And uh, it was a really good choice, I thought. A nice touch on it. Totally agree. That's, that's some good stuff. Um, now, Picard's going to look over and he's going to see that there, as, as he's getting ready to leave the room, he sees a crewman on the ground and he's, oh, Captain, help me, help me clearly is just riddled with nanobots. Uh, nanobots? Nanobots? No. Nanites. Nanites. No. Nanobots. Nanites. Nanites. Yeah. They call them something specific. Nano something. Ugh, I can't remember what they what their term is. Anyway, he's clearly infected with, you know, org juice. stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, and he's like, please just help me, help me. And so what's Picard do? He shoots him. It's a mercy killing. I've got your help for you that. right here. Right. Uh, I don't have time for this. And he shoots him. I, oh, can you imagine if Starfleet had treated him that way? <laughs> it did. So, and it is something in the movie. It was surprising because you didn't quite expect that. Despite of what he said earlier to actually yeah. see Picard do that, that, Again, we're kind of raising the level of Picard's not quite being in his right mind. Oh, no. He's super revengey in this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so he opens a panel in the wall that he, is supposed to be a maintenance panel. This is the same one or same kind of panel that Beverly just came out of. So we know no locks, no latches, no nothing. <laughs> he opens it, ducks in and closes it. And the Borg who walks up behind him immediately pulls out his pneumatic saw <laughs> and starts going to town on it. Cause I guess some Borg just don't have fingers. <laughs> well, it's like, it, like none have fingers at this point. Nobody could call over. He's like, well, you could just, you, you could call Bobby two hands over here and he could open that right. for you. No, no, no. Frank said, no, I, I had to I hear do that. This, so uh, I mean, you know, Ben Dover, I, I believe he has fingers. <laughs> You know what? Oh, no, he, he's busy with the robot. Don't you can't. <laughs> can't a Wahlborg do this? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, already used all those. We're all out. <laughs> um, so Picard goes down the, the pathway and <laughs> he should have looked right, but instead he looked left and Lily comes up behind him. <laughs> nice. Nice move uh, there, uh, Captain Picard. You, you escape the board and get taken down by a rocket scientist. Nice. Right. And, uh, of course she, she wraps something around his neck and immediately strips his gun out of his hand. And she's, she picks it up and points it at him knowing nothing about this thing, even that it's a gun, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, she points it at him and she says, what faction are you with? (laughs) And he says, I'm not Eastern coalition. Really? (laughs) You know what to say? Isn't that exactly what somebody from the Eastern coalition would say? Right. (laughs) Ugh. Um, and then he's like, okay, all right, whatever. Uh, look, there's some bad dudes coming. We should really get out of here. So we follow me and I'll explain it all. <laughs> so he's like, all right, let's go down this hallway. And she's like, all right, go slowly. And all I can think is Picard should have turned around and been like, no, no, seriously. Slowly is not going to work right now. <laughs> we need to go fast. Cause trust me, if we go slow, you're dead first. <laughs> 
And can't we say just, just say that the Enterprise E seems to have the most convenient Jeffrey tubes of any starship, maybe since the Enterprise A? Yes, yes. I mean, the Enterprise A, you could drive a truck. Down but, <laughs> it's like you had yeah. these doors. But yeah, they 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 basically took the concept of the um, of the office building air air vents that you have in current movies and they just did that with jeffrey tubes the jeffrey tubes go everywhere in the this enterprise you get yeah, anywhere well, you want to at any time this enterprise i'm pretty sure is is half spaceship and and half hamster cage <laughs> because it's got extra hallways and jeffrey's tubes and stuff all over the place that i don't see any reason that humans need to be in any of that crap but it's everywhere <laughs> so we go back to data talking to the queen Data gets to talk to the queen, wakes up with that nice Spencer's Gifts uh, uh, radiation uh, uh, pillow that all Borg have. So, first off, okay, two things about that. First off, every Borg eventually on Voyager is going to have that same pillow. <laughs> um, it's it's For those who don't know, this is the thing you see at places like Spencer's Gifts where it is a big glass uh, disc. And it's got all kinds of electricity flowing through it. And if you touch it in certain spots, or if you touch the, the glass, all that electricity goes towards your finger. And it's real cool. You play with oh, the electricity moving. I don't understand how they use these as a prop because every time you move your head, that would move with you. I don't, and maybe that was an advantage or I don't know, but it seems like it would be really hard to set up a shot <laughs> when that's happening. Ah, oh, Brent, come on. Can you just move your head to the right again, please? <laughs> Um, I was really disappointed uh, that we didn't see the love lamps and the other things I got from Spencer's gifts, but you know, well, I mean, you did see the one Borg who was wearing the the hat with the boobs on it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he pulled the string and we clapped. You know? <laughs> I love so, that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So once again, the queen's a villain. She's a bad guy in Starfleet. So as soon as uh, Data starts realizing he can hear her, he realizes she's talking on the PA system. Ugh, I hate the PA system so much. <laughs> yeah, but if I ever want to be a bad guy, I know the exact system I want to go after first. I mean, I might take over the refrigerator or the uh, grocery store next week. You know, all I have to do is grab that microphone right. and I'm in charge now. <laughs> you want imagine walking into fries and being like excuse me just walking up grabbing the microphone and start quoting moby dick <laughs> you will and now you will all do what i say <laughs> uh hello uh is this the police yeah uh, he did it again <laughs> we're gonna need you to come down here again now the thing about so, the work is they uh oh i'm sorry go ahead go ahead no good I was going to say the thing about the Borg is because you mentioned earlier the the pneumatic saw the Borg have a certain sense of nostalgia because okay when when Picard runs away what's he do he has a pneumatic saw the no laser or anything like that and now when we decide we want to access Data's made of mainframe we're going to use a drill we're going to hmm. use two drills we're going to use two drill bits to drill into data's skull and i'm just trying to actually think of did you guys assimilate a snap-on truck or a dremel 
right? Truck, you know, it's just, it's, it's that whole thing, you know, oh, well, you know, we're going to take out today. We're going to access this Android's mainframe. We're going to use good two one quarter bits on our Makita arm. We're going to make sure <laughs> that we have all the power we need to get right there inside the thing. You know, it's, I've always wondered where are they finding these things? You have, you have a starship that has all this equipment on it and you decide, you know what, let's go ahead and assimilate everything in the craft room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, there actually is a Borg equipment and supply company. (laughs) So that's where your money's at right there. Right. Um, (laughs) They, they actually distribute uh, Ken tool. Uh, Chicago pneumatic. Um, oh, Acme tools. <laughs> there it is. There it is right there. That answers so many questions, right? <laughs> so yeah, tools so easy. I mean, a coyote could use them. Right. That's, that's also why, you know, everywhere the Borg assimilate, they slap stickers on all the windows. <laughs> Shop Borg tools. <laughs> Um, also, if you can't, if you can't assimilate market the hell out of them, <laughs> right? I do find it interesting though, that like the Borg, if you think about how all of the work gets done on their bodies, it's pretty much a hack job. And, uh, the, the way they go after data, like nobody even thought to go, I wonder if there's an access panel. Nope. Real. <laughs> I'm going to go straight in. <laughs> So we go back down to the, to Earth, and uh, Zephram has to learn some harsh truths. And here's the thing: they just don't tell him some of it; they tell him the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Was that really I, necessary? Was that really again? Ensign Daniels nowhere around. Hey guys, do you think you could keep just a little mystery to the whole thing? Nope. 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 Right. I yeah. It's it's pretty pretty brutal um it's one of those things that makes me wonder like are are these guys actually kicking off the mirror universe (laughs) are we watching that happen is that what really happened here this is why kelvin doesn't really matter in our universe because this is mirror mirror yes yes um in fact in enterprise they'll even nail this down to uh, the dark universe really coming from something that happens. And instead of Zephram Cochran shaking the Vulcan's hand, he hits some other wrench. Yeah. And then they shoot everybody with shotguns. That's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that the inflection point in enterprise was really that he was deciding, you know what, I'm going to sell this tech to, <laughs> the, to econ and I'm going to get everything I want. And it turns out that the crew of the Enterprise told him exactly where to find everything. <laughs> See, and, and so you I, know some aliens are going to land at 11 o'clock. Just make sure you got your guns handy. I had theorized that it was all based off the fact that Picard actually did blow up the ship and that Lily was killed and that, uh, or Zephram thought that Lily was killed. And so Zephram was so grief stricken that when these aliens showed up, he went after them. However, when you told me your theory, yours makes way more sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's Zephyr Cochran for you. <laughs> so um, we talked earlier about the fact that the, this movie kind of sets up a lot, a, a big chunk of the 
Star Trek lore. Yes. Um, you know, we, we talk about how earth became part of the galactic community. We talk about, um, what these, what these couple days mean for the, for the, the history that's here. And, and it's and, a big deal. And yeah. And, and, um, and Troy, uh, Troy, when she's explaining it, talks about, you know, poverty, disease, war, all of these will be gone in the next 50 years. Now, when I saw, um, Roddenberry speak, uh, at university of Alaska way, 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 way back when, um, one of the things he talked about was he started playing with the idea of what would the earth be like if everyone had just their basic physical needs met three hots and a cot. And he started to build upon that idea that the replicator really would be probably the most revolutionary thing to happen to humanity. And that would be the thing that would kick off a, a world that would not need an economy that was based so much on obtaining things because the basic things you needed were going to be readily available. And just what that would do to a world where everybody, where nobody on the planet really had to be struggling for their basic physical needs uh, just to stay alive, um, which I think is a really fascinating concept. That is pretty cool. And we see now, Star Trek, that that's what they really try to push in Star Trek is like, hey, what if everybody had a chance? Well, yeah, and I, I think they, they touch on that a couple times as they, you know, when they talk about the Prime Directive, that's one thing that yes. comes up a lot. It's like, well, you know, we could eradicate poverty, disease, and war by just dropping replicators down everywhere we go. But also, society has to be ready for that because if a society is not ready for it, then they use that as a reason to kill each other. Yes. Um, which is a whole thing that I've, I've been reading a lot of philosophical, philosophical, um, uh, articles regarding the prime directive and good versus bad. Oh yeah. There's, there's a lot of gray in that area. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, as soon as they're done talking about all this stuff and talking about how they fly through space and everything, Cochrane is, has the distinction of becoming the first person to use the phrase Star Star Trek. Trek. He's the only one to ever say it on the show. Now, um, there is a scene where Q, is it Q? Yes. Yeah, Q says, you're on a trek through the stars, which was a cheeky way of putting it in there. And <laughs> it was fun at the time. This one was just like, hey, you're in a Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> We're just throwing okay. it out there. <laughs> right. Which, I, you know what? I can totally appreciate this coming from a Frakes movie because that's, that's his way of doing it, right? His way is... <laughs> Hey, I'm going to beat you in the face with this. That's funny, right? <laughs> and it's one of those things where you go, Hey, that was too blatant, but yeah, it was funny. <laughs> it's not subtle. Right. Doesn't mean it's not good. <laughs> so we go back to the enterprise and we're going to go into the Borg uh, ready area, I guess. It's build a Borg workshop. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so you smell that methane in there and those tubes yeah i'm sorry to tell you buddy you got borgs here <laughs> yeah and they're not gonna come out cheap okay i might have to tent this whole ship before this whole ship before the whole thing is done don't you know I, I wonder i wonder if the borg like they're putting them all together and everything Do, does each one get like you know the birth certificate like cabbage patch dolls or the the teddy bears you know do, do you get some sort of little little thing that tells you you're officially assimilated, you know, or something of that nature. 
I don't know, man. It, 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 it kind of, you have that feeling of like, all right, now you get your badge. We're just going to shove this little plastic beating heart into your, into your chest here. And uh, now whenever anybody hugs you, they'll hear your heart. But it also, you, uh, it also had a certain aspect of, of a, a place that we used to work uh, in a call center of just kind of like, you know, stick this on your arm, sit down and take calls. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It, the, uh, the whole Build-A-Bear thing, we, when my daughter was younger, we made one for her and uh, they were like, well, do you want to put a message in the little heart that's going to go inside it? And all I can think is the last thing I want is to accidentally step on a bear in the middle of the night and hear myself going, I love you. <laughs> no, thank you. That sounds like terrifying. <laughs> now, I I do think this is a great look at kind of the ick factor of the Borg, right? Like yes. We, we're used to seeing the smooth transition of you know, crewman disappears, then crewman shows up completely Borgified. Um. <laughs> This one really begs the question of like, what do you think it feels like? It kind of, it reminds yes. me of uh, Angelica Houston as uh, um, Morticia Adams when she's <laughs> talking to the little girl and she's like, and what do you think that feels like? And, oh my God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, you know, they, they show the guy with his arm cut off and he's got his new socket implant done. They show people getting, uh, oh, the close-up of the eye. Oh, yes. Was, yeah. It was somebody's eye with a, a computer access point or something installed on the ball. And, I mean, clearly it was a specialized contact made just for that scene. But, oh, man, it, it, it just made me itchy. Yeah. <laughs> they, did, they did a really good job of making this super creepy. Right. And there was goop everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but they were definitely spending those creature shop dollars, man. <laughs> um, so the, uh, the there's a, a bunch of random crewmen who are searching around trying to, to fight people. And they go into a dark room. And <laughs> all the lights start popping up. I love this because dark room and then laser, 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 laser. And they come out and all I can think of is like, we are the Borg. We will distract your cats. <laughs> <laughs> Loving dogs is futile. <laughs> no, I, I think the thing is, is as funny as this can be, I really love these. You're not alone kind of shots where they walk into the room and it's like, um, I don't see anything. Wait, what was that? Oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Oh God. This is, this is like some classic softcore horror right there. And it's good. Uh, I, I liked it. I thought it was juicy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I it will was say watching this, you can tell Frakes likes horror movies. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he said that he watched, um, uh, alien aliens and oh, I forget which other ones it was. There was a handful of movies that he watched in preparation for directing this. But Alien and Aliens alone, I mean, that's a lot of the horror stuff that happens in here is definitely inspired by those. Yes. Movies. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Um, so we find out from the bridge crew that uh, the Borg have taken decks 26 to 11. Which, okay, that's pretty amazing. You've built all that. You've been spending time building all these boards and you've taken decks 11 if you'd say one thing about the Borg, they get something done in a day. That is true. 
and I'm going to go out on a limb and say the reason they get everything done is because one of the Borg who transported onto the ship already assimilated must have been Captain Edward <laughs> Jellico. <laughs> get it done. I was guessing it was more of the things queen thing. Our bridge. <laughs> I was thinking it was more of the queen. You know, it's like, you know, boss is here, so look busy type thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they complain that they stopped at deck 11. I don't understand why they stopped at deck 11. There's no critical systems there. Um, and so they start talking about what's there. There's deflector control. Uh, guys, that kind of controls everything. <laughs> it's like you, you do we understand spend seven years of TNG establishing that that thing controls everything. It is the largest single instrument on the entire ship. But it's not a critical system. <laughs> As we'll find out later, it also could destroy half the ship if you had a parent shot. <laughs> Which, yeah, that that one kind of seems like an odd, uh, odd situation. Right. But <laughs> hey, we're gonna put the dangerous part on the front of the ship. That sounds good. <laughs> what's the so Picard, Picard, <laughs> Picard and Lily are? Uh, uh, we we go back to our little jaunt with Picard and Lily. Uh, they come out of a uh, a hatch, and when they come out of the hatch. They walk into a hallway, which is a standard Star Trek hallway, <laughs> except it has what looks like a hitching post running down the middle of the room or maybe a Hadron Collider or some type of particle accelerator. I don't know. It, it's just a tube running down the middle of the room, and uh, it's very uh, unusual. <laughs> but it, And it splits, the, uh, it splits the hallway in two. As, and they just walk down there and don't even notice it. It's just bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so he's going to he's going to show Lily where she's at. She's going yeah, to so they walk into a room, into the room, and explain. And so she says, "You know, get me back to Earth." And so he pulls the cool thing of like opening the hatch, and you can see there's Earth below them. So now she knows that she's on a ship. What is this room? This is a room yeah. that has a panel and has a small magnetic window. And that's basically it. And the magnetic window is not big enough to like pull in a ship. It's not a, it's not a, um, it's not like for a shuttle or anything like that. There's no airlock here. It's just, a hole in the ship. Yeah. It's really weird too, because it's, it's like at knee level. Yes. It's not even like a, a flat wall. Like the, the to picture the shape of this room, it's triangular, meaning that there's two walls and then the outside hull. And it's triangular in that the outside hull is roundish and kind of comes to a triangular point around your feet. <laughs> um, there is kind of a control panel in the middle of the room. So much so that Picard is like, well, let me show you where you're at. And he pushes some buttons. The door opens and you see earth below. <laughs> so, the, so rightfully so she freaks out and then she, he shows her, Oh no, there's a force field. She's like, Oh, okay. I'm not a caveman. I know what a force field is. Okay, cool. <laughs> It's but yeah, 
the size and shape of this hole, I mean, it's just about big enough for a man to go through. So <laughs> all, all I can figure is this is the room that they've said, you know what? No more shooting coffins out the photon torpedo tubes. We're going to have a special room for shooting out coffins. <laughs> Which I was so relieved when you told me that theory because the only thing I could think of was like, holy cow, are they just dumping their trash out of the bottom of the ship? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, wow, not very eco-friendly, guys. Jeez. Right? Well, and then they turn around and leave the room after she's like, oh, okay. I get it now. I'm on I'm in a spaceship. Oh, cool. I'm totally not, you know, space sick or anything. She, I haven't gone space happy. We're good. So she, so they turn and they, they walk out of the room. Picard never shuts the door. Some engineer is going to come walking along later and clean things up. They're like, Oh no, the Borg must be back. They left a hatch open. <laughs> I like when she's trying to, she's getting an expl- explanation and Picard's being very careful to tell him you're, you're on a ship, you're on the, uh, a spaceship. He doesn't say starship, but then he just starts blabbing about you're in the, I'm from the future. And there's, it's like, so you were worried about her finding out that this was a starship. But the temporal prime directive, I'll just toss that out the window. I'm from the future and there's bad guys from the future and we're all going to blow up. And you know what? It's like, I don't understand why saying Starship was such a big problem, but the rest of it, oh, here's, let me, let me spill the beans for you here. Right. Who cares about that? (laughs) Well, I mean, he obviously doesn't really know what's going on because he's told her his name like 40 times. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. He's going nuts. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we flash back to Data, who's finally going to meet the Queen face to face. She uh, raises or er, lowers down from the ceiling as a pair of shoulders, a head, and a spine that lowers into, I guess, an interchangeable body of some sort, some kind <laughs> of mechanical body. <laughs> Whose body was this? Well, it's it's mechanical. Like it, it, it's completely a mechanical body as far are as it you, appears. Are are you are you sure? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> Based on what's going to happen in a few minutes, I'm going to guess there's some biological parts. But like, can she just command that thing to like go get her a soda? Because I'm I'm comfy. I'm I'm. I'm watching Breaking Bad. Can you uh, go get me some snacks? <laughs> it would be know. nice. Anyway, so she lowers from the ceiling. She inserts herself into a new body. Which, it for the time, it was an amazing special effect. It was something that oh. you re- really hadn't seen before and really, really well done. If I'm being honest, even now, it looked pretty darn yeah. good. Wh- whoever came up with that one, really nice. Nice thought. Nice. Well executed. Yeah, and for those that don't know, I mean the 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 bust comes down, lowers into the thing, and then like these hooks grab her skin and like sink down to like lock her in place. It's pretty cool. And then she, you know, flexes all the body and everything. It, it's pretty cool. Um unfortunately, Alice Craig, the uh woman who played this part, uh her outfit was so skin tight and Ooh. so bulky that she was covered in blisters all over the place. Yeah. And the hooks that touched her skin were silver. And apparently that gave her a really bad reaction and was really painful. And so painful that uh, they only could have that on her for four minutes at a time for filming. And then they had to take it off. Um, I mean, obviously not the entire makeup, but the part that was touching her body. 
they had to, to strip that off after four minutes of filming because yeah. it was so painful. I I find it amazing some of the things that that they go through for the names of a good in the name of a good shot. I honestly do, right? Because I'm kind of a wimp. So <laughs> it was interesting because she talked about uh, um, she had never when she got the call for the audition she had never seen Star Trek before, and so she thought it was really strange because she asked her agent, "Well, get me a script so I can read it." And her agent had to explain to her, "This is a Star Trek movie. Nobody's getting a script." That. That, yeah. <laughs> no, that's all locked down. So Script? Uh, we, we don't use scripts. <laughs> <laughs> so she said she, uh, she had a couple of friends who had actually written for the show and, uh, and called them up and went over to their house and what she watched like every episode that had any sort of Borg in it. Um, and she went and did the audition and, uh, and she felt she did really, really poorly on it. She was really disappointed and, to the point that before she even got home, she stopped at a pay phone, which, just think about the time it was she stopped at a payphone um right. and called into her agent said begged to please get another audition you know i i can do it better and nothing came of it she didn't hear anything for for three weeks so she pretty much forgot about it and called her up they gave her the part which she was fantastic in i mean it was a really really well um it was a well cast a really good casting choice i think because she she really pulled off that that creepiness that oh yeah really fantastic role <clears throat> um okay so with the introduction of the board queen and the introduction of her to data i think this is probably a good place for us to stop with episode two and uh get ready for uh next time for episode one this is uh where we will Find out the final chapter of what's happening. <laughs> Star Trek, the first contact. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, I would like to say a great big thank you to our friends over at Five Year Mission for the use of their song Beam Down as our intro and outro. Thank you. Uh, please make sure you head on over to fiveyearmission.net where they do uh, uh, one song for every episode of the old series grouped into albums for each season. It's a really great listen. They've got some other great stuff on there as well. Check them out. Take a look through the catalog. Amazing stuff. Um, and with that, that'll do it for us. So everybody, thank you very much and have a great time. Thank you very much. Started 832 2016.